But I'm going to just go ahead and invite uh, Jay Schiffman up to share his story. So let's give it up for Jay. Welcome to the Choose Your Struggle podcast. I am your host, Jay Schiffman. Welcome back to the Choose Your Struggle podcast. My name is Jay Schiffman. I am your host. I am an addiction and mental health speaker, writer, consultant, coach, and advocate living in South Carolina. This is being recorded the week of March 23rd. Um, Things that are happening, to put this all in context, is in the last 48 hours, uh, the U.S. is the number one country in the world for rise in coronavirus rates. So obviously people are scared, and rightfully so. Um, I'm going to start off this episode with a very nice email I received just before this all started because I think we need a little bit of positivity right now. It's going to sound a little disjointed, Uh, And that's because I took out any identification, anything that might cause listeners to know who this person is. I want to respect everyone's privacy. Uh, I am very open about my struggles with addiction and mental health, but not everybody is. And I want to respect that. So if you hear me, if it sounds like I'm skipping parts, it's because I am. So this is an email I received from someone I've been working with. uh, And it really, I think, cuts to the heart of this. She says, thank you for connecting with me yesterday. Your testimony means a lot to me and my husband. Our son came over last night. He said he would not be against meeting with you. I gave him your website and your cell number. He said he would connect. Thank you, Jay. Thank you so much for caring. He needs a tough and educated angel right now, and I'm not able to be that person. I'm looking forward to meeting with you again soon. Please stay safe and have a fabulous weekend. Those... (laughs) Those sorts of emails, those sorts of messages, whatever the case is, that's why I do this. Like, that brings such a smile to my heart. And and I've talked to her son, and, you know, he's currently struggling. And, and, you know, it's a complex issue with complex solutions. There is no right or wrong. There are right answers and wrong answers, but there's not one right or wrong answer. And I read that email not just because it makes me feel good. And honestly, I think we need we need all the positivity we can get right now. But because this is about a guy who has gone through traditional AA style, 12-step style treatment twice. And it has not worked for him. Unfortunately, until very recently, the, the idea or, or sort of the pushback on him would be, well, you just didn't try enough or... You know, your family's still enabling you or all these other things that we hear all the time, right? But thank whatever you believe that we are finally into an era where that's not the case. There are other options. So on today's episode, we're going to talk about this a little bit. The average person probably doesn't know what they don't know. The average person doesn't know some of the prejudices that they have in them without even realizing that they're prejudices. The stigma against addiction treatment and addiction itself is alive and kicking. We all know that, but it's also alive in the community against anything that isn't a 12-step style program. And I heard it put beautifully the other day by somebody who 
does uh, medically assisted treatment, and we're going to talk a lot about that today. But he said, look, it's not a fault of AA. This is a guy, by the way, who's been through AA multiple times as well, and it also failed him before switching to MAT. That's what we call medically assisted treatment. He said, it's not the fault of AA. AA does what AA does. 12-step programs do what 12-step programs do. It's not their fault. He said, I don't even fault the people who do AA, that what they're doing is great. What I do fault, he said, and I completely agree with this, is the people who believe that AA is the only answer. That's where the problem is. And that's what we're going to get into today on the podcast. So I'm going to take a break. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast and then thought, man, I just, I don't even know where to begin. Well, I have the perfect answer for you. It's Anchor. They have all the tools you need to get started right away, all in one spot. You can do it from your phone or your computer. They'll even distribute for you, so you don't have to go looking for places to get your podcast out. But the best part is it's all free. That's right. You can sign up today without any hassle at all. You can even start making money right from the beginning. It's everything you need in a podcast in one place. So check it out today. Go to anchor.fm or download the free Anchor app to get started. Welcome back. Now, a quick disclaimer as we get into what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to say this probably 10 times on this week's podcast. (laughs) You're going to get sick of it. That's fine. This is a complex situation with complex solutions. There is no one right or wrong answer. All right. That is my biggest pushback on some of the things we're going to talk about today. There are right and wrong answers, but there's not one right or wrong answer. There's a lot of shades of gray. Like, 95% of this is the shades of gray in the middle of the 3% right and 2% wrong, right? If I say something today that challenges you, it challenges something that you believe to be true, that's fine. Let me know. That is the point of this. The point of this is to start conversations. Uh, As you heard the email that I I read to start this, this episode, I love when people reach out. That was a very positive one. I could read you some negative ones. And, and, and they're not like, how dare you? Most of them are just like, well, here's what you don't know. That's great. I don't profess to know all of this. I, far from it. I am constantly looking for new information. As I sit here, I'm going to read from a book that I've been reading called The Stigma of Addiction, An Essential Guide. Um, it's a, it's, I've referenced this before. I've referenced it on last week's episode. It's a collection of uh, scholarly articles and studies uh, that are that are dedicated to the this issue of addiction and pretty much every every facet of that issue, including uh, this issue of which treatment is is right. And the answer that they give every single time is there isn't one that is right. I mean that's that's the point. Um, I love stuff like this. I've read this now cover to cover. I'm on my second read because it's dense and it's hard to take everything the first time. I'm probably going to read it two or three more times. 
I'll, I'll reference a couple other articles as well. The fact is I'm always looking for more information. So reach out. Don't just turn this off. Don't just go, nah, screw that guy. You know what I mean? That's the problem is that we get into these I know what's best mindsets and we run from the conversation. So don't do that. Reach out. Second, here's the thing. This needs to be said. I was going to do it later, but then I went back and actually listened uh, while walking my dog to the interview that I gave that I, that was released as part of the special episode. And, um, you know, I, I had qualms about releasing it in the first place because there were some things said on it that were not true. And I'm going to get to some of that. But I decided to do it anyway because I thought the positives of it severely outweigh the negatives. And I still think that. That being said, some of the things that were said were incredibly harmful. And because of that, I decided to speed up when I was going to do this episode. So here it is. So first, let's deal with some of those inaccuracies. The first one right off the bat is I am not sober. All right? I'm just not. I've never said I was. I never professed to be. I haven't been. I was for the first two and a half to three years in my recovery. Um, but the thing is, so before I get to the, the problem with the word sober, um, I want to be clear about this. I told the host of that podcast I wasn't. That that was not a miscommunication. That was not anything like that. I love doing that podcast. I love their podcast. I think they're doing some really great things. They are a Narconon podcast, which means that they are uh, a 12-step style group. Their rules are you must be 100% sober by our definition of it. And that's, that's a problem that we'll talk about. I am not. Never once said I was. In fact, I told her I'm not. She struggled to square that circle. And, and that's, you know, one of the biggest issues is that by their definition, I'm not in recovery. That, that's it just it's just flat out the case. Like there is no gray area there. If you are not completely sober, you are not in recovery by their definition. So she knew that. She also wanted to tell my story. Um, she also really like we talked before and after that, and she had a lot of great things to say about the work I'm doing. But when it came to their brand, she could not not call me sober because it would it'd be like breaking their their system you know what I mean so uh, I apologized to the couple of people who reached out and said hey you're not sober like you and I literally had a drink not long ago I, I do I drink um, and it comes down to this my struggle as you heard on that podcast if you if you listened if you didn't that's fine my struggle was with prescription pills you know I I can I can think back to a time when I did not drink safely, and that means college. <laughs> um, that means, <laughs> like, I was an idiot in college. You know, I did not drink in a safe way. But there is a very clear difference between my drinking and my use of other substances. I could have a drink and stop, right? I didn't often because it was college and I was an idiot. But... I could. I could have a drink. There was not something in my brain. You know, there's a line from the West Wing that I give a lot because I think it's a perfect encapsulation of what addiction is. Leo McGarry, fantastic character, says, I can't have a drink. I don't want a drink. 
I want 10 drinks, right? So that is the difference for me. I don't want 10 drinks. I can sit with my wife and have a, a, a glass of wine with dinner. I can sit with her, uh, you know, I'm sitting there working on my book and I can have a glass of whiskey and drink it slowly and enjoy it. That was not the case for prescription pills. That was not the case towards the end of my experience with cocaine. Um, that simply was not how my brain functioned. I needed 10. I was, uh, you know, I went from not being able to swallow a pill. I, I used to hide when I was like 11 or 12 and first on pills, I would hide my pills in bananas because I couldn't. My throat was like, nope, I don't want this. 10 years later, I was swallowing handfuls, handfuls without water. That is addiction. That is a problem. Having a drink, that's not a problem. So that's where I draw the line. And, and I think the opioid epidemic has really helped us with this. Look, the opioid epidemic is awful. I don't want to be, I don't want this to be a Bernie Sanders situation where they're like, hey, did you hear that Jay said the opioid epidemic was amazing? No, no, no. I'm not going to do that. The opioid, the opioid epidemic is one of the worst things that's ever happened in this country when it comes to killing people unnecessarily. But the opioid epidemic has showed us that this idea of everyone must be sober in recovery is silly. Tell me why the high school quarterback who gets his knee shattered goes on opioids, gets addicted, switches from opioids to heroin, and then gets in recovery. Why should he not have a drink? Now, don't get me wrong. That person very well could have a problem with alcohol, alcohol as well. I am never, ever saying it's black and white like that. What I am saying is this idea that to be in recovery, you must be 100% sober is foolish for everyone. Making it a blanket statement for everyone is foolish and it's harmful. And a lot of people, a lot of people struggle with it because they go, wait, so you're telling me that I was shooting heroin, but I never had a problem with drinking. And if I get my shit together and if I enter recovery, I can never have a drink again. I'm not sure I'm down with that AA. And that's where a lot of the pushback on AA comes from. Also, here's something most people don't know about AA. You are not allowed to use any substances. Of course, that makes sense. You're not allowed to drink in AA. That makes sense. You are allowed to smoke as many cigarettes as you want and drink as much coffee as you want. And I know people in AA, wonderful people who are working their ass off to be in recovery, who went from not smoking. This is someone I met not long ago. Like This is a real, a true story. Went from not smoking a single cigarette to smoking three packs a day because that is their outlet, right? They went from not drinking coffee to drinking three to five cups a day because that is what AA allows them to do. That's a problem. Like, that is a problem. That shit will fuck you up. Smoking three packs a day is going to kill you faster than if you had a mild drinking problem. That's a problem, but in AA, that's fine. There are people, there is a community, it's small, but there is a community of people who look down on AA people. They are so far in the opposite direction on the sobriety, on the sobriety scale that they think AA doesn't go far enough. So what I'm trying to say about this is that this common conception, this common idea that we have embraced by society, that being in recovery means X and X 100% means AA's rules, is a problem. 
Now, it works for a lot of people. And I believe that for a vast majority of those wanting to be in recovery, a, a time of sobriety is necessary. Like I said, I did it and it worked well for me. But there are a small group of people who will never be quote unquote sober. And there's another group of people like myself who were once and were able to start using sub substances again. And there are people who are quote unquote sober who are still using really harmful things. So what I'm trying to say here is we need to challenge that label and be open to the idea that there are other ways. And I'm going to get into a little bit more about that after taking a break. Hey, y'all, I'm doing my first giveaway. Who doesn't like free stuff? Am I right? If you listen to the podcast, you know that I wear a plastic bracelet every day. It says, don't give up on one side and you matter on the other. It's made by a cool organization called Don't Give Up Signs. They do great work and I use their products in a lot of different ways. Go check them out. But I decided to make some of my own. They say, choose your struggle on them and they're pretty sweet. So here's how this is going to work. Go to my website www.jayshifman.com and go to the contact me page. Reach out there and let me know if you want a purple bracelet for addiction awareness or a green bracelet for mental health awareness. It's that easy. I'm even going to send it to you because coming to find me in South Carolina right now isn't really an option. The first 50 people who do this are going to get their bracelet sent to them free of charge. So reach out today and let's all wear some sweet Choose Your Struggle swag together. We need community and inspiration now more than ever. Reach out today. All right, back to the episode. And we're back. So the point that I'm trying to make is this. The right recovery path for each person is the right path for them, right? That is the point of this. Sobriety should not be the goalpost for all forms of recovery. In fact, sobriety for sobriety's sake shouldn't be a goalpost at all. Now, those who are going the AA path, the 12-step path, that is their goal, that's fine. If it works for you, that's, that's wonderful. Like I said, I know and have worked with a lot of people who are in recovery thanks to AA. But there are problems with the AA method, the first of which is pretty obvious. It only works for a small percentage of people. Their original publication said it worked for 50%. That wasn't true. The the tested tried and true numbers are about 33%, which is awesome. Before you paint me as anti-AA, that is not the case. 33% is great. However, that number doesn't include people who never seek AA treatment in the first place. So like I wouldn't count as AA in their success rate. That number also is only for alcohol. Their success rate for other substances is abysmal. And quite frankly, that's not their fault. This was created 80 years ago for alcohol addiction. It's not AA's fault that it doesn't work for other things. It is society's fault that we have decided that it is the only way you can get into recovery and have forced people with other issues to get into recovery through AA. It's not meant for them, right? I mean, if you broke your leg and tried to treat it with chemo and then threw up your hands like, well, shit, 
chemo ain't working. What the fuck are we going to do? That's a problem. It's not meant for that, right? That's the issue with AA. But we have allowed this idea, this snowball to happen, that AA is the form of recovery, right? So again, it's not AA's fault. It just wasn't meant for that. The other issue, and it kind of goes towards the, the next topic I'm covering, is there are some parts of AA that are very outdated and they haven't updated them because they are core to what AA is. A big part of AA is admitting that you have a problem, that's, that's fine, and sort of recognizing your own flaws and failings. Now, again, for a lot of people, that can be helpful. But for a lot of other people, that is incredibly terrifying. Let me relate it to my own experience. Now, if you listen to my story, uh, you know this. If you didn't, that's fine. I was told that I had a debilitating mental illness and was put on and was put on chemicals for it, put on pills. Then it became apparent that the issue was the addiction to those substances for over a decade, right? That's the summation of my story. If you need a little more context, go back and listen to the special episode. If I, and I did try AA once. I went to one meeting. Didn't go well. They basically were like, get out of here. Like, that's kind of what happened. But if they had made me admit that I had a problem, I would have been like, hell no. Nah. Because I just had that happen for over half a decade. I was admitting that I had a problem that I didn't have. Right? That would have immediately caused problems with my situation. So I think that's a good example of why some of these things are problematic. So let's talk a little bit about other options. I referenced earlier something called medically assisted treatment. That is the big one. And it's part of the harm reduction model of addiction treatment. And it basically says this. Would it be great if the person using in an unsafe way stopped eventually? Yeah, would be fantastic. Would it be better if we start helping them use in a more safe way to ensure that they live and ensure that they get to a point where they can maybe make that choice if they want to? Yes, that's wonderful. Basically, what this comes down to is if the only goal is complete and total sobriety, no wonder a lot of people don't seek treatment, right? If a person is approached and said, hey, we want to make it safer for you to use your substance, most people struggling with a substance use disorder will say yes. If you approach them and say, we want to get you off right now, most people are going to run the other way or they're going to say okay and they're going to relapse. Quitting cold turkey is not an option for a extreme majority. I didn't. I, it took me months to enter recovery. So harm reduction is a big tent that includes a lot of different methods. They include everything as every day as carrying Narcan, and that is the drug that helps reverse an overdose for an opioid substance. It does not work for anything that is not an opioid. So 
I know I said earlier, <laughs> talking about the high school quarterback who, who is on opioids and then gets off and then goes to heroin. What I really meant was the high school quarterback who's on prescribed opioids, which is the heroin. Heroin is an opioid. Um, fentanyl is an opioid. Cocaine, something like that, meth is not. So there is no Narcan for those substances, but there is for heroin and for, for fentanyl, all that kind of stuff. So if you've seen someone carrying Narcan before, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. I carry mine everywhere I go. I take it with me when I go on a run. Uh, it's in my pocket. It's small. It's very easy. I hope I'll never have to use it, but I honestly don't know if I could live with myself if I needed it and it wasn't with me, if I could have saved a life and I couldn't. So that's that's the kind of everyday accessibility of harm reduction. Just carry some Narcan. Other methods of this include safe injection sites. These have been in the news re recently. They are in a lot of other countries. It's only the U.S. is where this is a current fight. Philadelphia tried to open the first one. They were approved legally, which was a huge step. And then the two days before they were set to open, there was a, a huge pushback by a neighborhood coalition, and the landlord pulled their their lease. Pretty pretty awful. In these these places, there are people on site to test the drugs. Right, they're not giving them drugs. It's not like here, take our heroin. No, no, no. It's let me test that to make sure it, it is just heroin and not fentanyl. If it is something else, if there is something in it that causes an overdose, or even if just the person takes too much, there are people there who are trained in Narcan. There are also people there that have access to other forms of treatment, so they can talk to people about treatment if they want to do that. So those are pretty great. They're going to happen soon. It is just, it's a matter of time. We just got to get over that stigma, the not-in-my-backyard-ism. Other forms of harm reduction include needle exchanges, which is where people can bring their dirty needles and get clean ones. You saw this used incredibly effectively in Indiana back in 2015 when under Vice President Mike Pence's watch, all of a sudden there was a huge rise in cases of hepatitis C, of AIDS, things that came from sharing dirty needles. And so people started a needle exchange and those rates dropped. They plummeted. They're awesome. They are still being pushed back against in a lot of places. Uh, here in South Carolina, there is only two. One of them is above ground. The other one is below ground because people see it as enabling, which is just not the case. You're not saying, hey, let's come shoot up together. You're saying, hey, we know you're going to do this. Obviously, eventually, we would like you not to do it because it's probably not good for you. But we know you're going to do it. And so we want you to do it safely. So let's help you do that safely. Let's make sure you don't die and you don't spread diseases. Like, that's just pretty basic. It's essentially the condom, right? I mean, back in the day, people were like, oh, if you give them condoms, they're going to want to have sex. No, they're already going to want to have sex. We give them condoms so they do it safely. That's what a needle exchange is. But the final part of the harm reduction method that I want to talk about is medically assisted treatment. Medically assisted treatment is essentially, let's help the person switch from a drug that is causing problems like heroin to a drug that we are going to prescribe that won't cause problems. Now, does it work for everybody? Nope. Uh, is it foolproof? Nope. Is it evidence-based? Does it work? Yes. Are there scores of people out there for whom this was a lifesaver. Yes. Let me read you a little piece about medically assisted treatment. 
the first thing I want to read comes from that book I was talking about, The Stigma of Addiction, An Essential Guide. It says this, Another subtle example of impact of language includes the way harm reduction services are frequently framed. Examples include syringe exchange programs, hepatitis vaccinations, etc. Harm reduction has been made to be unnecessarily controversial, and critics often create a false dichotomy as if a choice has been made between harm reduction on one hand and treatment and recovery on the other. In fact, harm reduction is congruent with other general medical principles, including non-malfeasance. It's also contemporary to the goals of treatment and recovery. It is an approach that is widely embraced in other areas of public health, including safe sex education and condom distribution, as well as the use of seatbelts and helmets. Groups that have, in the last couple of years, promoted medically-assisted treatment over other forms, not just, hey guys, let's try all things, which, by the way, is my personal belief. I don't believe in one over another, right? I'll be straight up about that, that I'm not anti-AA, I'm not only MAT, I'm for it. Let's try all tools in the toolbox. But in the last couple of years, the Obama White House put out a statement recommending MAT, as did the National Council for Behavioral Health. MAT does not have to only be in a vacuum. A lot of times, at least this is something that AA is starting to come around to, it used to be that you only did AA and nothing else, right? There was no, hey, why don't you also go talk to a therapist or also yada, yada, yada. It was just do AA. Now they're saying, okay, also try therapy and all that kind of stuff. But MAT was first on that, right? The guy that I talked to up in Greenville, South Carolina, who has an MAT doctor in his office, he is a behavioral health specialist. So people come to them, they get their MAT, and then they see him for behavioral health work. That, I think, is the point, right? There is no right path. There is no right path. There are multiple ways into recovery, and we should try and be open to all of them. And that leads me into my final point. The language we use matters. For a long time, MAT was seen as the black sheep in the family. Recently, I was at a conference in which everybody in the room worked in addiction, and there wasn't one person willing to raise their hand in a group and say they didn't believe that MAT should have a seat at the table. That is incredible. That does not happen in AA circles, I know. Uh, not long ago, I was talking to someone that I, I very much respect. He is doing unreal work on addiction here in Charleston, South Carolina. But he is an AA only guy. And he told me the reason he's AA only is he doesn't believe that there is any proof that MAT works. That is just wrong. I gave him proof. And his response was basically his response was this is what they want you to think, right? And remember, this is coming from a person whose addiction was kind of ushered in by therapist. I trust doctors on this. I believe it's the right thing to do to have them have a seat at the table. The point is, we don't know yet. We're not there. We don't have one solution that works above everything else, right? If we get to a point where there is something that has a 100% success rate, if we can then replicate that and help us prevent struggles with addiction in the first place, all right, let's then start phasing out some of these other things. But we're not there. Even MAT, which does have the highest success rate right now, it's nowhere close to 100%. And it obviously cannot do anything when it comes to prevention. So anyway, all of that to say, 
Everybody deserves a seat at the table. We should use all toolboxes. Now, I started to touch on this, and I want to end on this point. Words matter. There's some of them that are widely still used. Other ones, they're starting to disappear. And other ones that really are only used in the addiction community. You know, personally, I still use the word addict. I have switched to, in most cases, saying person struggling with a substance use disorder. Um, I even am phasing out addiction a little bit and saying issues of addiction or um, issues of substance use, that sort of thing. You'll hear people who say, never say addict, never say addiction. I'm with you. If that's your feeling, I'm with you. That's fine with me. The one that I really do bump on, the one that I cannot abide by, is when people outside of the community say the word clean to mean somebody in recovery. If you're in the community and you still say that, look, I wish you wouldn't because of the connotation, but if you if you have gone through this and you want to you wanna still say that you're clean, that's cool, man. Do your thing. If you're outside of the community and you have no context for this, if you are not in recovery and you don't know what that means, saying clean insinuates that you believe that the person before they were in recovery was dirty. I mean, that's just, that's just how language works. If you think that because I'm in recovery, I'm clean, quote unquote, then you mean before I wasn't. That's not cool. <laughs> Who are you to call me dirty? You know what I mean? So let's get rid of that one. That's easy. Just say in recovery, right? Uh, other ones, obviously, stop saying sober if you mean in recovery. If the person is sober and you've had that conversation with them about what that means, that's a very small group who are actually 100% sober. That means no coffee. That means no cigarettes. If you're an AA and you're using their definition of sober, what do you say to the person who quit smoking and thinks, nah, man, you're not in recovery or you're not sober? So it's a very touchy definition for a lot of people, that word sober. So try not to use it if you mean in recovery. Just say in recovery. Also, the host on the addiction podcast said something that I hate and, and people who are anti-MAT say it all the time, which is why would you, you know, why would we switch from one drug to another? That makes no sense. Uh, that's just how shit works. <laughs> I mean, like, she also said prescription pills work for nobody, which I would never say that. Also, she's not a doctor. Who are you to say that? I think they can work for a lot of people. I know a lot of people who are on prescription pills and in recovery from alcohol, like that shit works for them. So who are you to say it doesn't? These are all sliding scales. The one that is very easy to get rid of is clean. Just don't say clean. But the other ones, have the conversation first. Don't call someone sober if they're not. Don't call somebody sober if they are by their definition, but you're talking to an audience that they are not sober by their definition, uh, which is what happened on that, you know, that podcast. The woman called me sober. I'm not. And I would never say that because that's disingenuous. So we covered a lot today. And look, I could do hours on this because you, you kind of need to if you really want to have this conversation. As I've said in the past, this podcast is not meant to do that. This podcast is meant to be small bites to give people a glimpse into this world and invite conversations. If you want to know more, go to my website, www.jayshifman.com. Find me on LinkedIn, Jay Schiffman. Find me on Facebook, same name. Find me on Instagram, The Next Schiffman, or Twitter, JB Schiffman. Anyway, reach out. Let's have a conversation. I would love to, to continue this. If you don't agree or if you're confused, I'm here. That's why I do this. 
Can't wait to hear from you. I'm going to take a break and then let's close. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. A quick programming note. Next week's episode, episode five of the Choose Your Struggle podcast, will be a very special episode because it will feature my first guest. Kristen Zavo is a international best-selling author of the book Job Joy, Your Guide to Success, Meaning, and Happiness in Your Career. She's also a career coach and an amazing speaker. I am so lucky. I know her personally. We worked together about a year and a half ago. Uh, I was I was happy in my career. I was uh, really enjoying what I was doing, but I wasn't fulfilled. And I was referred to Kristen from a friend of ours, a mutual friend named Vic, who had worked with her and found incredible success and was raving about her work. And I said, all right, I got to check this out. So we had a nice chat and I immediately signed up. And a year and a half later, here I am. It's not often that you can draw a direct line uh, between two points. I mean, in our life, most things are twisting and turning. There is not a straight path. This one is. I worked with Kristen. Here I am today. It is that simple. She's incredible. We catch up every couple of months. And this time, we're going to do it on the podcast for your listening pleasure. So tune in next Friday for episode five of the Choose Your Struggle podcast, where I will be talking to career coach and international best-selling author, Kristen Zavo. It's going to be fantastic. All right, back to the episode. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. You know, this one was a little heavier than last week, and I, I think that's okay. I think it's important, actually. These are topics that they need to be addressed. That's kind of my thing, right? Ending the stigma. And we can only do that if we have honest conversations, if we invite those difficult conversations, if we invite people to disagree with us. And if you do, I want to hear from you. These are not ironclad. And as I say time and time and time again, this is a complex situation with complex solutions. There is no one right or wrong. That's kind of the point. So please reach out. Go to my website. As you've heard now a couple times on this podcast, go to my website and reach out to me. Next week, we have a special episode, as you've already heard. But to close today, we're going to do the, the couple of exercises that we always do. You can hear me shuffling the cards right now. So today's Choose Your Card, as always, brought to you by Blurt. They don't pay me to say this. I just use their products and think it's the nice thing to do. This is coming from their pack, 54 Ways to Ease an Anxious Mind. You've heard me read one of these before. I think they're wonderful. So today's card. Oh, this is, this is great. Surround yourself with nature. Watch the night sky, tree bathe, go near the ocean, watch animals or birds. So, outside isn't canceled. Being close to people outside is canceled. Stop it. Just stop. But, going outside is not canceled. So, go for a walk. That's, like, it could not be easier. Go for a walk. Go sit on the grass somewhere and just enjoy nature. Honestly, like, this is the best time I don't know if anyone else has seen that video of the dolphins playing in Italy. Like, nature is coming back because we can't screw it up right now, you know? Or we still can, and we still are, but to a less extent. So, go outside and enjoy nature. All right, that was this week's Choose Your Card. This week's 
good egg is pretty simple. Last time, or maybe it was two times ago, I asked you to donate something. Well, we're going to do a little bit of reverse donating. When you go shopping next time, don't hoard. That's it. That's your good deed for this week. Just don't hoard. You know, you see these lines of people who are waiting hours, putting themselves at risk to go shop at Costco to stock up on a year's supply of meatballs. Look, I like meatballs as much as the next person. We're not there. This isn't that. This is not how this is working. Don't hoard. Save stuff for the next person. Just be a good person. That's it. That's your good deed for this week. So, thank you so much for tuning in to the Choose Your Struggle podcast. I will see you next week with our special guest. And as always, choose your struggle.